Hey everyone, Gavin Day and Dan Rouse here once again. This is episode four, and we've got maybe a working title. Uh, think about this. Newspapers on seats, exploring the world through soccer. And if you've listened to the first episode in Bulgaria, it'll all make sense. But feel free to let us know if it sucks, if it's good, uh, and we'll see what we can do. It's it's a placeholder for now. Uh, but I'll give credit and I'll bring him in. Dan Rouse, that was your idea. Yeah, but it's a really average one. Um, I think it's one of those <laughs> titles where, you know, it'll do for now. Um, there will, I think, you know, this, this will mature. Hopefully the podcast will get better. Um, and uh, you know, I think we'll come up with a better time. I like the, I like the um, the slogan you've given it though. I think that's quite nice. Oh, well, thanks. That was that was due. I think we've avoided being you know sounding a little bit pretentious, which I think is a very uh, you know a fine line to tread um, when you're kind of talking about the culture around football matches. And, and I think it's almost impossible to do. We kind of will always sound a little douchey, but you know we we do what we can. Uh, should we? Uh, should we get down to business first of all? What do yeah, you go on tonight? You, yeah, you start the ball rolling with your beer. That looks like an interesting one. Yes, it is Black Oak Brewing out of Etobicoke, so sort of West Toronto. It's uh, their Nut Brown Ale. And I've, you know, I'm sure you remember me talking my efficient, or, uh, my appreciation of darker beers as I make an awful pour. Oh dear. Yeah, uh, you need a flake in that, don't you? That's, that's, that's oh. serious. I'll let that settle for a bit. So while that's going on, what do you have? I, uh, I was telling you before we went on air that I went to uh, Prince Edward County with uh, the missus, the baby, and a couple of um, coronavirus bubble friends. And uh, <laughs> we, were sta- we were staying on a lake, and there was this nice brewery nearby called uh, either Gillingham or Gillingham. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, uh, and they just had absolutely wonderful beer. It was like a little farm. Um, you know, they had they were growing their own hops there. And this one here is a hot wheat. Oh, there um, you go. Which uh, I actually I've already had before. I had it in the uh, beer garden at the place, you know, and uh, it's beautiful. And then even better than that, no, this isn't very good for the people who listen to the show. Look how cool this bottle is. It is very cool. You, yeah, you you almost need a handlebar mustache to be able to drink that. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, it's like um, you know, a red stripe bottle's had a growth spurt, isn't it? It's great. It does. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. Yeah, a so, stumpy. So one. I'm gonna drink it out of the bottle. Well, really there nice. you go. So you don't have to worry about my uh, abysmal pour. So let's get down to it. So for episode four, we've chosen, well, two stadiums that, well, you can no longer see any games there for. Um, we'll start with we'll start with your choice. You you were at Underhill, the former home of Barnet FC, and if you're a true soccer fan, I think you'll agree with me. If you're going over to the UK, don't just go to uh, the big clubs. Don't just go to the Premier League. The heart of the game is is truly at the local club. I could not agree more. Um, I mean, there's one actually, there's a couple of grounds going very, very soon, which I'll probably miss out on. And that's um, Brentford's ground and Luton's ground. And they're both fantastic examples of these old stadiums that are really, you know, that hover their local communities. And, and you know, for me... Um, Underhill was no different. Um, I went to uh, the actual story stems from going to Wembley actually. Um, so a load of my friends we went on a bus down to Wembley to go and watch Shrewsbury Town, my local team, go and play against, uh, funny enough, Gillingham and uh, and Shrewsbury. Well, it's actually a bit of a Canadian connection for you. Um, 
Terry Dunfield didn't make the match day squad uh, for Shrewsbury Town. <laughs> I don't know if he was uh, injured. He he was definitely an unused substitute in the uh, second leg of the semi final of the playoffs. So I don't know if he just missed out. I'm not too sure. Um, but the winner, sadly, was scored in the last minute for Gillingham by Simeon Jackson. So another Canadian uh, link there. So it was, uh, but no, the result didn't go our way. Uh, we were really, really despondent. Uh, there were about 16 of us on the bus. Uh, my mate Jack was inconsolable in tears. Um, and we were just having, a, you know, back on the bus and we were just shell-shocked and just distraught. Um, but then suddenly, out of nowhere, like... The, the bus driver turns on the radio and Bonkers by Dizzy Rascal came on. And it's not a very good song, but for some reason it just like <laughs> enlivened us and we were like bouncing around the bus and just like deciding let's make a good time of it. <laughs> and that's how the rest of the bus journey home went. I mean, uh, we were just having a few beers on there. Um, I remember Eternal Flame from the Bangles coming on and uh, getting, a rousing, uh, getting a rousing version of it sung by us. Um, and... <laughs> The thing that really, no, no, obviously it's not the football match. The thing that really reminds me of the Wembley trip is, no, it was the first time I encountered Home James, who was like, um, according to like the Tourism Guide of England from 2008, Home James runs day trips and longer theme tours of the Shropshire area. Um, he did a lot more than that. Um, he was an interesting character. Uh, we referred to him as Home James. I don't know if it's his name. Um, I don't know. But he, we had to wake him up at the wheel a couple of times. Um, he <laughs> sounds we, safe. What, yeah, yeah. At one point, we really need like a lot of us needed a wee. Uh, so we asked him to put like maybe pull off the motorway and uh, go and find us somewhere. But he just pulled on the hard shoulder on the motorway, and we just like weed. Um, he, and then he also you know just a, a very interesting man he also had his website on the side of the van and the end of it was .co.uk.com which i assume probably doesn't work <laughs> he <laughs> so, was still learning this internet thing yeah yeah so uh you know, just from the hilarity of going on the home james bus and like how incredible that journey home from wembley was despite shrewsbury town losing in the very last minute to a goal that shouldn't stood i won't go into that um, we decided to start doing Shrewsbury Town away trips on a regular basis, and we actually went to Bardet twice. Um, okay. So, uh, because of the the drinking that was involved in both, um, I'm going to say this as if it was one trip because it was two trips, but they kind of merged into one. So <laughs> that's just a just a little heads up for you there. Gab. Well, we do live in an era where we don't know what day it is anymore, so it feels appropriate given the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I dug back um, to try and work out which games I went to, um, and the first one was, uh, you know, I'll get I'll get rid of the game stuff now because the game stuff is not what we're really here for. No. I'll tell you a few tidbits. The first one was in August 2009. It was a 2-2 draw, um, entertaining game. Um, some some recognisable names. Um, you had uh, Albert Adoma uh, played for Barnet. He went on to play for Villa. And uh, Yannick Balassi came off the bench for Barnet as well, who obviously was a very good player for Crystal Palace and joined Everton for big money until he got a bad injury. So some big names there. And then went back again in January 2011. Um not as many big game names on this one, and that was a a one-one draw, a last-minute equaliser for Barnet. Um, so that's that's all the 
that that's it now for information on the game. I can just tell you about other stuff if you want. How much? How much for tickets? First of all, I can't remember. I think yeah. I, I I I think like around then it would have been about eight or ten quid. <laughs> Compare uh, that to top flight felonies where you're paying you know forty five fifty pounds these days. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. I mean, so. You know, for our journeys down to Barnet, we meet outside the Red Castle pub in Harmer Hill. Harmer Hill was a little village in Shropshire, and uh, we'd meet there at 8 a.m. And uh, you know, I, as I said, these stories won't merge together. Um, but we were, you know, ha- had a, you know, some of us had a few drinks the night before um, because it was a Saturday morning. We we're getting up, so some shocker. Out, yeah, some of us went out in town. <laughs> Um, so we were all, you know, slowly turning up. Some of us looking worse for wear. Some of us looking very lively, like we still got, you know, a bit of buzz on us. Um, my mate John turns up. Um, hard to describe this. Uh, he he woke up and thought it'd be funny to dress up as a baby riding an old lady's shoulders. All right. So it was like it was like a proper fancy dress costume. So it's like almost his... like one of those rugby sevens events where where fans dress up. Yeah, honestly, it was really like that, but like none of the rest of us dressed up, but he turned up, so he, it kind of worked out, so his face was the baby's face, and he had like a little baby's bonnet on, and then he had like fake arms going around the like the old lady's neck, and then some fake right. legs flapping forward, yeah. and then basically his bottom half was like the old lady's body in like an old lady's dress, uh, and, it, and it was uh, just to set the ball rolling on how the mood would go for the rest of the day, that was perfect and uh it was you know when we went got into the area of barnet um it was a it's a great you know great area for like you know what what these old grounds are talking about are all about it's like you know small terraced housing um just like you know good local pubs um the locals you know they were really friendly but you know maybe they were just bemused by the sight of us being all excitable with a bloke in fancy dress um, but it was a really, you know, there's those great grounds where you look over the stand and it's just terraced housing. You know, somebody could be stood in the bathroom and watch the game. Like, I just love that stuff where it could not be more of a community club at all. Like, it, it was just perfect. I remember those early days of the Premier League where you'd see a lot of the stadiums and in between the stands you'd see the homes and someone would probably be getting a, a free game from the comfort of their top floor of their house. Yeah, it's, it's, it's magnificent. There's actually, I can't remember the ground in Italy, but I remember there was one where a hospital overlooks uh, the ground. So I think a load of people, when Juventus came to town, admit themselves to hospital complaining there's some fake ailments <laughs> so they could watch the game out the window, which is great. Were there still were there still terraces at uh, Underhill? Because I know even after the the rule came in to make them all cedars, a lot of them maintained terraces, the smaller ones. Yeah, there um, <laughs> there are seven there are seven stands at Underhill. <laughs> um, so they were like it's you could tell they just built it bit by bit. It opened in nineteen oh seven. It shut down in two thousand and fifteen uh, for football at least. Anyway, it got bulldozed in two thousand eighteen. I think. Um, it, yeah, seven stands. It was a bit at a time. Some stands you could see were pretty new. Some would probably only go about a quarter of the length of the pitch, but they had lovely shiny seats. And then other bits would just look like, you know, an open stable. You kind of kind of half expected a you know a Victorian boy in a flat cap to be shoveling horse manure in there. Like it was just, 
it was a real feast for the eyes. It was fantastic. And uh, also, uh, Underhill was famous for having a, uh, a sloped pitch, um, which probably sounds a bit weird to a lot of people because I find a lot of stadiums have immaculate pitches in North America. Um, but it was kind of a common thing in the UK with these old grounds. I mean, Barnet had it from north to south. I think Rotherham's old Millmore ground might have been the same same slope. And there'd be other grounds, particularly in non-league, where you know there'd be a slight hill up to one corner flag or something like that. So it's kind of common and added like a little bit of a you know advantage to the team who were who were running downhill for the second half. And uh, as a as an Arsenal supporter, I'm familiar with Underhill because that's where the the reserves used to play. And every year, essentially to kick off preseason, uh, Arsenal's team would essentially would play Barnet at Underhill. I'm not sure if they still do the annual Barnet friendly, even though the stadium is gone, or if you know Arsenal just does the multi million dollar gallivants around the world. Uh, but yeah, I always remember it was always the. An Arsenal eleven taking on Barnett at Underhill, and it's like, okay, preseason's beginning, the season's just around the corner. No, it's uh, fittingly, actually, uh, Graham Stack, who was a Arsenal reserve keeper, mm-hmm. um, and had a good good um, career in English football league. Actually, the basically the last thing to happen, the last bit of action at Underhill was uh, Graham Stack saving a penalty for Barnett to preserve a one 0 win. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of fitting for like the how it had been used by Arsenal. Um, also, London Broncos, a rugby team, um, they trained there, and I think they're, one of their youth teams played at Underhill as well. Uh, so it got a bit of use. I mean, that's kind of important now. You see for these lower league teams in England, to get more and more use out of these, a lot of them are going to artificial pitches, um, so they don't get an absolute mud bath they're playing on, um, which is a bit controversial, but... You know, this is their community hubs. So they got to make money in other ways, and uh, you know, I think Barnet did a very good job of that. Yeah, you mentioned the the seven stands. I mean, how how much local support was there? Was it a was it a packed house, or, or were you you know making up the away section in an otherwise empty ground? It was quiet. It was, only, it was such a tiny ground, though. I mean, even with seven stands, it only the only the capacity was only six thousand. Um, so it was a tiny thing. Um, this one, this one particular web page got open now. Um, the first fixture I went to had eighteen hundred people. Uh, the second fixture I went to had um, just over uh, two thousand one hundred and fifty. Um, so, not greatly attended, but it was a decent atmosphere in there. Like um, inside the ground was great. I think they had a seating area for away fans, like an optional one. Um, you know, because they had so many stands, just like you know, to say, take your take your pick. Um, but we went in the standing section, which was just just great. It was just like a no frills kind of thing. You know, kind of had the occasional or- orange bar to lean on, um, but otherwise it was just concrete steps to stand on. The away fans were like behind, almost like a cage to the left. Um, but there was no animosity. I found the people in Barnet to be very very friendly. Um, you know, just wanted to go and watch a good game of football, and even the people who weren't going to the game in the pubs around the ground were just, uh, yeah, we were just they were open to having a laugh and having a good time. It was just a, uh, you know, there's the reason why we went back. We just enjoyed it so much. We just like let's just do Barnet again. And and when you went down, did you just sort of was it in and out, or were you able to to stay a little bit and explore or experience a bit of the the hometown? Yeah, we you know, we experienced some local pubs, and it's just your general. You know, it's it's for people who visited 
the UK. It's, it's, it's probably, it wasn't as local as to, you know, have a, a dog lying by a fire. Um, but they were, they were good pubs, you know, with local beer on. They'd obviously have a couple of pours of London Pride out there um, and other Fuller's beers, you know, some good local stuff. Um, was sorry. Was this before uh, the likes of Green King started taking over all the pubs and and what's the word in uh, the world's end? Starbucking it, making them all look the same. It it was starting to get towards then. I have to say, I think that started to happen because I was at university between two thousand seven two thousand ten, and I think it was starting to happen then, especially with Weatherspoons like selling ale for like a pound a pint and stuff like that. So. You know, by the time I went there, it would have been well underway. But you know, they were staying true to it. They were serving lots of local stuff. Um, you know, I think it was an area where there's quite some keen lager drinkers as well. So there's a good lager selection and stuff. But it was just just great. I love you know going to these grounds where just terraced housing. People are out in the front gardens, just watching the crowds go by. It's just like a labyrinth of streets. Um, it's it it just you know as I say, a real community club. Um, no. I don't know what the hive's like at Newground, but Underhill was a you know certainly a rip roaring success. And I know for my, you know, I've never lived in the UK. I did a th- I did a three week stint at the BBC World Service when uh, I was in school, so I've never had the community club. Of course, we don't really have it here in in Canada. It'd be cool to have you know your little local ground, go see your local club. But if ever I, you know, who knows what fate might bring. But if ever I'm you know, living in a in a small town or, or what have you, I I can imagine that that I would be out there supporting the local club almost as as fiercely as if I would, you know. And I've been an Arsenal supporter for about twenty some odd years, so uh, you know, it, something something romantic about the the small town team or the the local team that really has no aspirations of you know climbing to play European soccer or any of that but just you know it's it's a community thing and it's we've seen teams struggling and it'd be cool if if those can be preserved for for as long as possible yeah i think it's really important you go and watch your local team i mean i was raised a manchester city fan um, like all my family are city fans um no they're, they're actually from Salford, you know, and Man United sat outside of town, but they're all blue. Um, so, you know, I had no choice. Um, but, you know, because I was born and raised in Shrewsbury. I, Wait, I hold was, up, hold I, up, hold up, hold up. Were you, so you lived in the red part of Manchester? My, all my family did. I was actually born, I was the only one in my family not born in Manchester. I was okay, born in because I was just going to say, it sounds like, like you were the inspiration for that movie, uh, There's Only One Jimmy Grimble. <laughs> I actually have what it a classic. On... I actually have it on VHS. I still think I have it back there. So you know, it's it's got a great soundtrack that film as well. But, it yeah, does. That's, uh, yeah, so many a, good it's songs. A, it's a classic that one. It's a real classic. Mm-hmm. Now, um this season, yeah, I think it's really support you know, important you support your local team. I mean, when I was living in Sheffield, I was um, you know if I wasn't watching Manchester City home games, I'd go and watch Shrewsbury Town away, or I'd go and watch um, Hallam FC, who are a local non-league team who I was helping out at the time. And mm-hmm. um, I think my third year at university, which is when I should have been really plugging down and trying to up my grades a little bit, I went to 63 games that season. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, definitely through supporting my local team. Um, but, yeah, as I said, Underhill, it was special. It, it'll always have a special place in my heart. Um, also, because I mentioned, you know, Eternal Flame by the Bangles briefly earlier. <laughs> um, so that came back. Uh, for this, so we 
practiced it going down to Barnet and, and all learned every single word. So 16 of us went into the ground and we you know people were chanting like, you know, for Sharees, we like, Salop, Salop, which is like the old term for Shropshire. And uh, yeah, me and my mates just start singing Eternal Flame its entirety. <laughs> and people were just like, so like, what the hell is going on here? But then at the end, we got applause from the whole away end. We got applause from the home end who were nearest to us. Like people just thought it was hilarious that like these 16 Larry lads had just learned this song word for word. It was great. The inside joke that nobody actually gets, but they're still impressed by you. <laughs> or it was exactly. pity or something. And uh, just, uh, you know, I know we like to say little tidbits about, uh, you know, certain teams and stuff. And, uh, and well, we've already had a few about Barnet, but obviously Barnet got a little bit of recent fame. Well, around, uh, it was 2012 to 2014 for Edgar Davids becoming player manager. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, so it started well. Um, you know, there's stories about him uh, paying for transport for fans who got stranded at one game. Um, I think he was got man of the match in his first game he played and stuff like that. He was great, but things started to sour. I think uh, one way he tried to kind of establish his, his authority on the team was by giving himself the number one shirt, um, which <laughs> smacks of dickhead to me, I have to say. Um, and then, uh, you know, as he started to slow, uh, you know, Barney were in the fourth tier. But started to a... slow. He was already slow by then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he started to slow even more. And his, so in his first eight games of the 2013 to 14 season that he played, he got booked in each one. <laughs> and, he, and he was collecting red cards for fun as well. So I don't, I can't remember how that worked out with the suspension because obviously he was player manager. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if his suspension meant he could be on the touchline or did he have to be in the stands? I don't know. But yeah, it kind of ended in disaster and definitely contributed to their demise into the non-league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I feel I think I've exhausted that subject, Gav. I mean, like okay. obviously I I, I I gushed about it a bit because I absolutely loved the, those two trips I went. So yeah, I think we should uh, maybe move on. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll preface the next sec segment with this. That is We're the North Bank Highbury, uh, and if you're an Arsenal supporter, you should know that song. Uh, and it, yes, well, once upon a time, Arsenal was a big club. And, and I'm going to tie this into our whole theme because this was my first trip to Europe. Was, and I, it was, I went to London to start it off, and I went to one of the last 10 games at Highbury before the old ground closed in 2006. So just to age you, Gav, how old were you when you went over? Let's see. Uh, it would have been... February of 2006, so I was still 20 years old. Yeah, because in the in your your Twitter pictures that game isn't it you went to? It still is, yeah. And I know uh, I'd like to think I haven't changed in appearance since then. But well, I, was uh, about, I was about to say you've had a rougher, rough few years since. I don't, if I were, you look uh, about thanks, you look about 12 in that. <laughs> well, you know, let's see. Uh, yeah, times change. Uh, 2006. Uh, that was before I've had two knee surgeries since then, including the dreaded ACL. So I did some some aging. And then some growing, not quite upward, but maybe outward. Uh, so uh, I still have my hair, though. And if you've seen my father or my brother, uh, you would know that that's a reason to be proud. So uh, I was going to say that. You have got a lovely head of hair. 
Thank it's, you. It's, well, yeah. it's, right now, it's like I haven't. I need to shower, but it's sort of gone curly, and I'm going to tie this into uh, Highbury. If you, Arsenal fans swear by Nick Hornby's Fever Pitch, and there is a movie of it as well with Colin Firth with sort of this curly mane, and I believe it's three or four people in my life have said I look like a young Colin Firth, so I will take that to the bank. Uh, if we're ever casting for a young Colin Firth, please consider me. Um, of course, I probably couldn't do a good accent to save my life, but you know, hey. <laughs> I think I think that's a good compliment. I mean, like he's a he's right. A, he's a good he's a good looking bloke, isn't he? He is, and so yeah, I I every, well the funny thing is it was the first of my high school girlfriend who first told me she was a big Colin Firth fan. She told me that I uh, I looked like him. Oh no, it's a compliment, and I will forever carry that. So with, you know, there's there's always a high, you know, a romance to Highbury for me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like first of all, I, I had an Arsenal soft spot. Um, it was because you know, as a keen Manchester City fan, you know, youngster, City were terrible. You know, third tier, um, kind of getting relegated, relegated or promoted every year. So Arsenal for me were the only you no know, hope that Man United wouldn't win the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I really had a soft spot for Arsenal. They played absolutely beautiful football, yeah. and for me. You know, because I never went to Highbury, one of the bigger laws of the stadium was how low that TV camera was. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? it? It seemed for me, it seemed to like exaggerate everything that happened there. Like you know, Mark Overmars was quicker. You know, Thierry Henry's you know scrape of the studs over the ball was cheekier. You know, Martin Keown was even uglier. Like it was just like one of those <laughs> things that was just like that low camera angle really sold it. I think to me and maybe to many people around the world. Whenever you turn on a game before, you know, of course, you'd spot the red shirts with the white sleeves. But, um, yeah, you could tell immediately when when Arsenal was playing because just that low angle, you almost felt just like you were at field level with them, but still elevated enough to sort of tell what's going on. And I know exactly what you meant. And that's the first thing that always comes to mind whenever, you know, I revisit some glory days and, and watch some highlights is just how intimate that stadium was. And there's just so much history to it too. The first, you know, they, they, they started night games there. They floodlit stadiums and, um, you know, yeah, it's, it was always a very special place. And you mentioned at Underhill where there'd be the homes around it. Every, you know, import Arsenal player who, who was brought in, I remember reading, Robert Pires's book and he said you know he gets into to Islington and he goes well where's the stadium they just see houses and uh eventually you see it and and that was just what was so great about it is that it was a the home of a big club but it was in a residential neighborhood and uh you know there aren't tons like that left I mean Loftus Road that QPR QPR's home is similar like you go out to White City in London and and you're in a neighborhood and then the next thing you know you're you're at a stadium and so it was it was it was a dying breed especially for for big clubs that now just have the massive giant stadium and was it like you know was the tv camera kind of the same kind of feel you got inside the ground was did it seem really intimate did it seem like you're right on top of the action or was that is that just an illusion 
Oh no! It. Uh, I mean, I was. You know, I played the the North Bank song, and and I was on the North Bank for the one game I went to, and I went with an old friend from high school who was in the UK for a year. She knew nothing about soccer, but she was game to come. Um, you know, and it didn't take long for her to join in uh, in the songs. And yes, you know, Highbury was known as the library, but yes, we did sing, and she joined in. And you know, you were right there, and you. Uh, it was always weird where you're right behind the goal, but it was a cheaper ticket than along the sideline. And I always prefer that, that yes, you know, you might miss what's going on at the other end of the field, but you know, you're behind the goal and you just feel like you're right there. And it, it, it was intimate. It was, I believe in the terrace days, they could fit, they say they could fit 90,000, but when it went all cedar, it was, it was sort of 38,000. Yeah, I think it was 38,000. I mean, and, uh, you know, as I said, I had a soft spot for Arsenal around this time. Well, it's, it's probably, it was probably fading, actually, by now, because City, although, you know, being a bad team, they were in the Premier League, so I was, you know, definitely entertained by that. And I was, you know, Arsenal was spanking City on a regular basis at this stage. Um, so, I mean, what, you know, what can you remember from the game? You know, can you remember many details, or is it just the, you know, as we say, the sights and sounds that kind of uh, you remember? I, I got the sights and sounds in the day before. I flew into London um, and then j- completely jet-lagged. I mean, I woke up at like 6 in the morning just not knowing what time it was, where it was. This was my first trip to Europe, but the very first thing I did was, you know, I know where I'm going. And I was staying sort of further south, closer to central London in a hostel. And But, you know, thanks to Fever Pitch and the, the, the kid in the movie, the young... Colin Firth in the movie, he he says to get there, you go from King's Cross to take the Piccadilly line, Caledonian Road, Holloway Road, Arsenal, and that's the stop. And so taking the tube there on the Piccadilly line, that's what I did. And the, this was this was the day before the game, and um, and yeah, you just get to the station and you see the Arsenal station name, and you just know that oh okay, this is this is something else. Nothing can ever. St- top that first time but um there still is a little lump in the throat every time i go anyway so making your way up the the tunnel it's a it's a long sort of uh what's the word ramp up to the exit this was this was the last year so there were all these sort of homemade tributes to to the ground inside the stadium and um if if i can recommend going before a game itself to get the lay of the land this was this was one of those times which was absolutely perfect because I walk up the streets and I go on the side that was the the west stand and it was house 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 and then oh entrance to a stadium um and then I continue all the way around around the clock end uh of course you couldn't see it because you sort of go around a little bit and then coming up um to the east stand and there's the art deco arsenal stadium and and there's a lump in your throat because this was i don't know how long of, of imagining that moment and uh and then you know i went into the arsenal store which was just you know in these era of superstores and and giant things this was just essentially a, like a shed it was a very small building and i remember getting you know like a polo shirt that i still have for on sale for 15 pounds and then you could walk in and I walked into the North bank and there was a museum, but I didn't go, but I walked up onto the stand and you're sort of walking up. And it was one of those things where again, with fever pitch, when uh, the kid goes to his first Arsenal game and he's walking up the stairs and you just see the light opening up. And then 
that adequately captured what it's like the first time because then it, it bursts into view and I was on the North Bank in this empty stadium and there was this employee who was working there. I think he was just some kind of attendant to make sure people uh, behave and he, he could tell and he came over and we chatted and, uh, you know, I'm just gobsmacked at this. I'm in this empty stadium that I've dreamt of for however many years. And then we started chatting because I think Arsenal just signed Theo Walcott and, uh, you know, we were chatting about what kind of potential he has and he's 16. And uh, But yeah, the game itself, it was against Bolton, um, uh, which for a while, this was when Bolton really was Arsenal's bogey team. Sam Allardyce was coaching. Um, and I, you know, ticked off all the great players, essentially, that I wanted to see. Sebastian Larson. He, he is genuinely one of the best free kick takers in Premier League. History. He was. And, but <laughs> I didn't expect this to actually become a discussion. But yeah, I liked him when he was, was it was Stoke? Um, he was at Sunderland. He did. He did well, and he was and, and yeah. he was at Birmingham City for a bit as well. I think. Right, but no. I mean, you know, I saw, you know, Bergkamp, Perez, uh, Henri started. I think Perez came off the bench. The late Jose Antonio Reyes. Um, you know, Jens Lehmann was in goal. And then even on Bolton, my, my parents met in Nigeria. And so I've grown up a Super Eagles fan. And so J.J. Akacha was one of my favorite all-time players. And he came off the bench for Bolton. So it just made my day. Um, and I believe it was a Kevin Nolan goal um, in the first half attacking our end that, that puts them in front. And I think I don't think it was a very good goal either. It was just one of those like, ah. <laughs> um, and And then, you know, attacking our end in the second half, it was a miracle that Arsenal didn't win 5-1. Yeah. They had so many chances. I think they hit the bar twice. And then very, very late, Gilberto Silva scored, and we just lose it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the rare time where I'm going to remember chunks from a game. And it also helps that I think Match of the Day highlights are available on YouTube. So, you know, once every couple of years, I uh, I think I check them out. And, uh, yeah, it was... You know, leaving the game, I had no voice, um, and and yeah, that that picture of me after the game, <laughs> one of those moments in life where, you, you know, few moments in life that quite top that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's it's lovely to hear you describe that you know experience going to the ground because you know I remember my first game and it and it is the. You know, the colours really capture you. The effort, how bright everything is, and how close everything is, and it, and it's just, yeah, just a, an experience that you can never ever get close to emulating again. It's just beautiful. Um, yeah. And I also really appreciate hearing your love for JJ Kotcher because oh. I absolutely loved him. Uh, Tremendous a lot, player. A lot of that Bolton team I really liked. Actually, I really liked Ricardo Gardner as well. But that's that's. Oh a yeah, he played that day yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, was, I, uh, I was always a fan of UC Askelainen in goal as well. Oh, great goalkeeper! Yeah. Really, really good goalkeeper. So consistent for such yeah. a long time. Um, he had a long I mean, career with them. When you went, um, were you no? Were you in an extreme minority as a non-London fan? Because this because this interests me. Because like over the years, like. Um, it's become like a really Brexity, you know, complaint of uh, you know heads back in England of like you know there being too many tourists in the stands and stuff like that. And I do think it's grown over the years. I mean, and and I'm not we, going to disagree with them. They're they're right. 
But it's, it's a bit like, yeah, they're right. I mean, it's kind of diluted the atmosphere a little bit, but at the same yep. time, I mean, like the product's that good, you you got to expect you know tourists yep. to want to come in and enjoy oh, themselves. Yeah, but it is, but it is. It, I I have started to notice there's the more traveling crowd who, um, you know, who who doesn't. They almost have the. I don't know if it's the North American mentality of not wanting to join in, but it it, it does dilute the atmosphere again. Nothing, nothing against traveling fans, but especially with the ticket prices these days, um, it almost prices out locals in some way. But getting back to your question, um, yeah, I mean, this was the era when it was before memberships sort of gained you access to a certain level of of tickets. And so, yes, I, I still have my membership, you know, who knows how much longer I'll hang on to it. So when I, when I go, there's always a set amount of tickets to, to members. And so uh, this was before that. And I think I had to get tickets through uh, the Arsenal America supporters club. This was before there was an Arsenal Canada. Um, And there was a local who essentially, you know, helped out for the club. And so we met him, pre-game at one of the Arsenal stores and uh you know we could not that's the other thing that's unique well maybe not unique to the UK but foreign to North America is that you know we try start taking out our cash to pay him and he's like no 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 we can't do that here because there are police watching out for touts because they think they might think we're a tout even though we're you know legitimate so we went into uh, this pub, and this was the era before the smoking ban. So we're in this smoke-filled place, and then we, you know, pay for the tickets, and then we go. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it just felt like we were with locals because it, it, the North Bank, where I was, you know, for all the talk about Arsenal being a, a quiet stadium, we were loud, and it felt like it, like we were in the midst of something. And, um, yeah, uh, and it, it just makes me think of another just little story. We're taking the tube up on the day of the game, and this woman who is maybe in her seventies, you know, she has her Arsenal scarf on, smiles and nods at us. She she got off a stop before us, and she goes, "Hope for three points today." And I just thought it, it has a community feel. And while the Emirates um, is not far away, and you can still keep all your pre-match routines the same. I'll still go to Pybury Corner for a pie. Um, I'll still go to the Gunners for a pint um, before walking down to the Emirates. Uh, there was, it did feel more community-oriented back in the day, and it did feel like it was it was more locals who were there um, because the, there were just fewer tickets and the locals were snapping them up. And you no, know, I, I assume you prefer Highbury to the Emirates. Um, what what is it? You no, know, I I've been to the Emirates. Um, I'll I'll reserve judgment on it because this is your Arsenal, uh, you know, period. I mean, like, like what what for you does the Emirates lack? Is it that that community feel, or you know, what other things to you for you does it does it not have? I mean, it, it what's what's. Cr- it's tough to say because it's a massive sort of what 66,000 seat stadium um, and there's only so much you can do with that it is still surrounded by a neighborhood and what I love about Islington is the diversity and it's part of a reason why things have been so quiet because there are people of different languages who have lived there for so long Um, and uh, they've they've tried you know there's there are the bridges over that have you know, banners of great players, and there's been the statues that they've unveiled. Um, and so they've really tried to to personalize it, but it's tough to, uh, t- you know, it, 
it's becoming its own thing because he can't live up to the memory of Highbury that, you know, was built in 1913. Part of it was bombed in the Second World War. Um, like, once again, like, like I said, I was at the BBC World Service for a couple of weeks in school. And there, I just remember one day, I think it was on a weekend, where I lay outside the Emirates and just read my book. And, uh, you know, just because I could. And it still is in a, it still is in a community. Um but yeah, it's just tough to replicate that intimacy because like you said, with, with the filming, you can't get that with the Emirates because it's so high up and it's, it's sort of weird in a way to think about it because you'd watch a game on TV at Highbury and then you'd walk in and it's almost the same angle. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I still like to go behind the goals when I go to the Emirates North Bank if I can. Um, but it's, it. You know, I have had some seats higher up and it does sort of feel a little bit more removed. Uh, so it's, you know, there is only so much they can do. Well, the first thing they can do is put a good team back together to justify those ridiculously high ticket prices. Um, but yeah, you cannot replicate, uh, you cannot replicate Highbury. And what's, what I love about Highbury still is that they've kept the West and the East stand sort of the same entrances it's now apartment complexes and so whenever i go to the emirates i go to highbury first to you know pay tribute to to the old lady uh what was once you know this wonderful stadium and if you go on a day off there are security you know there are gates that i think residents sort of use a fob to get into but there have been a few times where the gates open or there's another time where a resident let me in and you go into what used to be the field and since it was zoned as green space they had to keep it that way so it's a garden now and you can stand in that garden and you can look up and you can still sort of see how this used to be a, a soccer stadium and just imagine what uh what's gone on over the years. And so I don't know if it'll take time with the Emirates for it to feel like it, not sort of uh, sanitized and corporate, but uh, yeah, Highbury, you know, there's just that history that, that can't be matched, at least not right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm doing uh, the Emirates a little bit of a disservice um, because it's the neighborhood... It's a nice stadium. It's a great time, but... The neighborhood's great. Like, it is really good because it does still feel like, you know, you've still got the houses around it. You know, you kind of go and grab yourself a sandwich from the Tesco Express. Um, you know, the um, the Away Fan pub was actually brilliant when I was there. It was a really, really good fun time. Um, and, you know, yeah, the bridges over to the stadium are great. It's just like, I, didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of being inside the stadium, but, you know, I'm a person who prefers 6,000 capacity to 66,000 capacity. Um, so then, yeah, that might have been the issue for me. Um, I mean, do you, in some ways, wish that Arsenal never moved? Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been cool to um, to get to go one more time, uh, just because when you go the first time to a ground, there's stuff you forget, like you don't see everything, and I just would have loved you know one more time to to tick off those extra boxes and just to sort of experience the whole ground. But, you know, that's, that's the way the life works. I mean, I already have some memories of the Emirates. Uh, I, I saw one of those five, two games 
Uh, stood on the north bank for that one too when Adebayor scored from a penalty and Gareth Bale dove to win a penalty. No, sorry, Gareth Bale dove to win the penalty and then Adebayor scored and then did some weird dance right in front of us and just, you know, you just <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> and then, uh, was it Bakary Sanya? Scored once, Robin Van Persie with a worldie tied it uh, before halftime, and then Theo with a brace, and and Thomas Rosicki, uh, a guy who loved playing for the club, scores, and he just ran right in front of us, just with joy on his face. So I have good memories of the Emirates already, but yeah, it would have been cool to get one more time at uh, at the Arsenal Stadium at Highbury and the home of football, uh, as we like to call it, but. You know, so goes life. But at least, like I said, you can still get the ghosts there. You can still walk in, and if you're in the garden, you can still imagine what it's like. No, that's really, really nice that they've done that. I know they've done that with a few stadiums around uh, the UK, but I think they've done a particularly impressive job with uh, with Highbury there. I think uh, you know before I say before we say our goodbyes, I'd like to. Um, you know, list off the last ever game at Highbury, which is obviously a few games after you went. Just list off the players that played for Arsenal that day. Like it, it was amazing. So these are the um, the eleven starters plus the substitutes at the end. So you got Jens Lehmann, Abue, Colo Torre, Campbell, Cole, Alexander Kleb, Cesc Fabregas, Gilberto Silva, Robert Perez, Jose Antonio Reyes, Thierry Henry, who scored a hat trick on the last ever game. And then off the bench, Robin Van Persie. Freddie Youngberg and Dennis Bergkamp in his last ever game for Arsenal. Like, what an incredible <laughs> bunch of players that is. And then what happened? <laughs> and, and, then, and then today, uh, we talk as uh, Arsenal just drew 1-1 at home against Leicester in front of no fans. Uh, <laughs> you're playing players like... Uh, yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to turn the knife. I'm not going to tell you who you're playing today. Let's, 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 let's finish this on a good note. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll wrap this one up. This was a fun one, as they always have been so far. Um, and yeah, so let us know what you think of the name. Uh, Newspapers on Seats, Exploring the World Through Soccer. Uh, Dan, this was fun. No, it's a, I, I really, I, I think this one's the best one so far. Well, there you go. We're getting better with age. So uh, we're actually going to make all of these live at the same time, these first four. Um, and then uh, and then we'll see where we go from here. But, uh, Dan, thanks for thanks for the chat as always, and we'll see what part of the world we come up with next. No, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Take care, everybody. Talk soon. <laughs>